0: 1 John chapter 4, beginning at verse 13. We know that we live in him and he in us because he's given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testify that the father has sent his son to be the savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the son of God, God lives in him and he in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in in love lives in God, and God in him. In this way, love is made complete among us, so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment, because in this world we are like him. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother, he is a liar. For anyone who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God, whom he has not seen. And he has given us this command. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. God.
1: Good morning. Uh, This Sunday is Trinity Sunday, and so we're thinking this morning about the Trinity and I don't know about you, but whenever someone mentions the Trinity to me, I always want to, to go and pray and ask for God's help to think about that. So let's, let's pray as we think about God as Trinity this morning. Our Father in heaven, we thank you that you have revealed yourself as the God who is triune. And we pray this morning you'd help us to understand what that means, help us to understand what it means to come to you as our God. And to worship you and to live for you. Pray you help us to have our hearts warmed afresh at how beautiful, how attractive you are. And we pray this for your glory. Amen. One story that has dominated the news this week is the story of the brutal murder of the soldier Lee Rigby in southeast London. It has sparked off a, a fresh debate about the impact of religion on society because it now appears that the attack was religiously motivated. It has also sparked off a fresh debate about the exact state of our society in this country because this brutal attack happened in, uh, in daylight in one of our cities, carried out by one uh, or British citizens on other British citizens. Uh, the community's Minister Eric Pickles has been um, busy since Wednesday, reassuring us that actually we 're okay, that our communities are doing just fine, and this is a one off but i 've heard many discussions and debates, and others are not convinced by eric 's take on what 's happening. One of the big concerns people are expressing is a concern captured brilliantly, I think by the late Christopher Hitchens when he wrote a book entitled God is not great. How religion poisons everything. In his book, Hitchens argues that it is not so much religion that is the problem with the world, but rather it is the belief in a God that is the great problem facing society today. And so I quote from his book The existence of God would be a bad thing, it would be rather awful if it was true. If there was a permanent, total, round-the-clock divine supervision and invigilation of what we do, you would never, be able, you'd never have a waking or sleeping moment when you weren't being watched and controlled and supervised by some celestial entity from the moment of your conception to the moment of your death. It would be like living in North Korea. It is a powerful point that he is making But notice where he goes next, and I continue. And of course, if you imagine a world ruled by this God, imagine what his people would be like. The police of such a regime, many dictators and control freaks, thought police of a heavenly Hitler. End quote. It is powerful logic, If there is a God who is an all-powerful dictator, then that is not a pleasant world to be in, and the people who serve and worship that dictator God must be in themselves, surely, like little mini-dictators running around the world policing others. Well, what can Christians say in response to the news this week, and indeed in response to these kinds of arguments that are coming to us once again? Well, over the next five weeks or so here in the morning, we're going to take a fresh look at God's great blueprint for his new humanity at God's people, God's church. We're going to look at how God wants us to live in this world. And we're going to see that God's plan for this world is a beautiful plan. It is for a beautiful people. It is not a poisonous plan. It is a wonderful plan that this world needs. But on this Trinity Sunday, we begin our series not by looking at God's people, but at the God who stands behind his people If you like, we're going to look at not the architect's drawing for his new design, but rather at the architect himself. For out of the architect flows his plans and his ideas. It may be true that belief in a certain kind of God may be dangerous. But I suggest this morning that as we look at this triune God, we're going to see a God who is unparalleled in his beauty, And he is a God who is immensely attractive and not the God that Hitchens writes about. Uh, We're based in 1 John 4 this morning. Uh, We don't have time to look at every verse in detail. Uh, But but John is writing to a young church um, that has a particular problem. And that problem for this young church is that they have never seen God. And because they have never seen God face to face, they're concerned that they don't actually know God, and they're concerned they're not on the right track spiritually. And so John writes to reassure them that, no, they do know God, and yes, they are on the right track spiritually. And so John writes to show them and remind them what it means to know the true God. So we pick up our reading, glance down with me at verse 12 of 1 John 4, just before our reading, and John writes... No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. You see, the problem, no one has seen God. How can we know God? Well, John says we can see God's love in others because God lives in others. Well, how can we say that God lives in others? Well, verse 13 shows us. John says, we know that we live in him and he in us because he has given us his spirit. And so one of the hallmarks of authentic Christianity, John says to his nervous readers, is an experience of God living in us by his spirit, which we can see in others and experience in ourselves. In other words, God is in us by his spirit. That's the first thing to note. But then John goes on, verse 14. He says, and we have seen and testify that the father has sent his son to be the savior of God. Of the world. And here is another hallmark of authentic Christian understanding. Uh, God the Father has sent God the Son into the world to save the world. John understands most of us have not seen God the Father sending the Son into the world, but but John says, I have seen the Son in the world. And so I write to you to tell you this has happened. And he says to this young church who are nervous about their faith, don't worry, you have indeed encountered the true God who has made himself known as Father, sending the Son into the world and then giving his Spirit to live in you. John says, yes, there is one God, and you have come to meet that one God, but that one God is three. That one God is Father, Son, and Spirit, Three persons in one. In other words, authentic Christian faith. The faith that John's readers have taken on board is a faith in one God, but who is three persons. That is authentic Christian faith. And this is unique to Christianity. There is no other faith system or religion in the world that, that believes or talks about a a God who is three persons. This is totally unique to the Christian revelation that we find in the Scriptures. And so we're going to spend some time this morning looking at what this unique, this triune God is like. And we're going to see afresh just how beautiful this God is. I've got four four, uh, characteristics of this triune God. There's so much more I could say. Uh, this is not going to be an exhaustive cover of the Trinity, but just a f- uh, four things I want to bring out this morning. The first thing we see is, because God is Trinity, God is love. Verse 16, John writes, and so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Love. Whoever lives in love lives in God, and God in him. It's there, isn't it? It's very clear. God is love. That is one of the most famous conclusions from this famous chapter, often read at weddings. But notice what John doesn't say. John doesn't say that God uh, didn't used to love, but now he does love, or, or that God has learned to love, or that before God made the world, God didn't love, but now he's made the world, he now loves the world. No, John says... God is love. It's, it, love for God is not like going to the, um, the garage to buy a new car and selecting an optional extra of air conditioning. Yes, I'll have air conditioning bolted onto my car. That is not how love works for God because love is not an optional extra for God. God hasn't gained love during his experience of being God. No, God is love. And the only reason why we can talk about love being who God is from eternity past and eternity in the future is because God is Trinity. As C.S. Lewis put it, the words God is love have no real meaning unless God contains at least two persons. Love is something one person has for another person. If God was a single person, then before the world was made, he was not love. Love. Do you see? If you take away the doctrine of the Trinity, if you have in your mind just a view of God being one person, then you have to also have an image of God being alone in the world before the creation of the world. And someone on their own cannot love someone else. God is not therefore, love. But John says we worship the one God, Father, Son, and Spirit, and that one God is love. Remember... Uh, The famous words from uh, John 17, that famous prayer of Jesus. Remember those words, Jesus prays, Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. What an amazing insight into the hearts of the God we worship. The picture we get in the Bible uh, is of an eternal God, Who is eternally giving and receiving in a relationship of triune love. Father, Son, and Spirit. And so it is not hard for us to see how that relates to us. Uh, John is very clear at the end of our chapter. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. God, the great architect, is love, and he calls us to be a people who are a people of love. That's our first point. Second, God is relational. God is relational. One of the features of our society, I think particularly here in the West, is an increasing trend towards being individuals and not communities. We see this in our neighborhoods as Neighbors live side by side increasingly, but they don't know who lives next to them, left and right. Uh, we conduct our friendships by email and Facebook. We keep people at arm's length. We control how much they see of us and when we see them. It is often a thinly veiled excuse to live for ourselves, to enjoy personal freedom. But the triune God is so very different from this view of Western society. He is fundamentally relational. We see a hint of this, I think, in 1 John 4, uh, f- verse 14, when we read it that the Father sends the Son. I assume that in order for the Father to send the Son, this must involve communication and relationship and a sense of working together, Father and Son, relating and communicating on the great plan of salvation. Well, think back to Genesis 1, uh, that famous chapter right at the beginning of the Bible when God creates the world. And remember how he speaks about how he creates humanity. Verse 26 of Genesis 1, uh, we read, Then God said, let me make, no, he says, let us make man in our image, in our likeness. Right at the beginning of the Bible, God is working in partnership, in relationship, Father, Son, and Spirit, in, his, in their great plan of creation. God is relational. And notice once again that God hasn't become relational when he made the world. He doesn't need humanity to have a relationship. He has it in himself from before the creation of the world. And again, like love... God's relational capacity is part of who he is. It's not a, an add on extra. Which means we get a picture of, of the Trinity. It's a picture of relational and loving joy and contentment from eternity past. Father, Son, and Spirit rejoicing in their fellowship, other person centered, caring for, respecting, involved in each other. It is a beautiful picture. And again, of course, for us, the application is clear. We are told in Genesis 1 that we humans are made in the image of God, which I think means, at least in part, that we are made to have relationship hardwired into our DNA. There is something very subhuman about a society which becomes individual and that pulls away from others. That is not how God made us to be. That is not how we function best. For God is relational, and we are called to be relational. And that is part of God's new plan for the world, a people who are deeply relational. God is love. God is relational. Thirdly, God is unity in diversity. God is unity in diversity. Again, we get a glimpse of this in 1 John 4 there is one god but john speaks of father son and spirit the father is not the son the spirit is not the father they have distinct they are distinct persons and yet there is one god they have different roles to play they uh, have different parts to play in salvation the father sends the son goes the spirit dwells there is diversity in what they do There is oneness because there is one God. In our world today, uh, we're often very good at doing either unity or diversity. Uh, So we're good at unity. uh, If if we find people who are like us, if we find people who enjoy the same things we enjoy, we're actually quite good at, at sort of flocking together. So if you like playing golf, the golf club can be a place of real unity. If you like I don't know wine tasting or photography. Uh, you can you can gather together and have quite a, a deep sense of unity together over that topic. Uh, we find this at work. If you work with various colleagues, you, you just you just sense that often people gravitate towards people who are like them, and there's a sense of unity around personality and working styles. So it is possible for the world to be good at, at sort of unity if we have lots in common. The world's also very good at diversity. We, we love to wear different clothes. You know, we've all come this morning wearing different outfits. We love to express our personalities in different ways. The, the houses that we decorate, the cars we drive, the music we listen to, our, our food tastes. You know, we're very good at being diverse, and that's great. But what the world is not good at is unity with diversity. In other words, the world is not good at being united when the people who are uniting are very different. And that is one of the reasons why I think we are in a, in a fix in some ways in this country, because we see this country breaking up into different units. There isn't unity in diversity so often in this country. But the God of the Bible, the triune God, he is the ultimate example of unity and diversity. And the architect who calls into being a new people has in mind for his new people, a people who are united in their diversity. And it is a powerful thing for a watching world to see a people drawn together, even though they are different, and not losing that difference, and yet united. And it all flows from the very character of God. And more on that as we go through our series in the next few weeks. God is love God is relational. God is unity and diversity. And lastly, God is equality with hierarchy. God is equality with hierarchy. What on earth do I mean by that? The persons of the Trinity are equal. As, as Mike Lloyd, the, the principal act of Wycliffe Hall, points out in his book, Cafe Theology, that this equality between the three persons of the Trinity is not the kind of equality that Orwell speaks about in Animal Farm, where, you know, where some animals are more equal than others. No, that is not the kind of equality we talk about. Father, Son, and Spirit are truly equal. They are God. There is equality within the life of the Trinity. And yet, there is hierarchy and by that I mean, again, that it is the Father who sends the Son. The, never, the Son never sends the Father. There are roles that are played out through eternity that never get blurred. And so, for example, in John 17, verse 2, Jesus, again, in his famous prayer, says this to his Father. For you, Father, granted him, Jesus, authority over all people, that he might give eternal life to all those You have given him. In other words, Jesus is saying that his Father in heaven, he's the one with authority over salvation, but the Father has given that authority to Jesus, and now Jesus has that authority, but that only happens because the Father chooses to give that authority to his Son. There is in the Trinity a hierarchy. The Father is the one with authority, the Son willingly and gladly submits to that authority. Uh, We see that in salvation, the Father sends the Son, the Son willingly and gladly goes to earth and to the cross. But throughout that whole story of salvation, Father, Son, and Spirit are equal. And so we see in the life of the Trinity, equality with hierarchy. And I think this insight is so powerful because we live in a culture that is so ingrained within it that the boss who commands is more important than the employee who goes. Or that the person who leads is more important than the person who follows. Or the person who mops the floor is, more, is less important than the person who preaches. But the life of the Trinity shows us that no matter what job or role we play, we do not derive our importance from what we do, but from who we are. That is true of the Trinity, and it's true of all those made in God's image. God does not change how he feels about us by the job that we do or the role that we play in church. That is how the world thinks. That is not how God thinks. Because God is Trinity, God is equality with hierarchy well our our time is up and I fear I've only scratched the surface of both 1 John 4 and also of this wonderful doctrine of the Trinity but I close with this thought people have often said to me Pete I I could never believe in a God to which I often reply tell me what God can't you believe in And when you've told me what God you can't believe in, I I suspect that that's the God I, I couldn't believe in either. And let me tell you the God I actually believe in. There is a huge gap often between what the world thinks God is like and what the Bible says God is actually like. And this morning we've seen just a snapshot into an eternal God who is gloriously loving and relational, and other person-centered, who delights in unity and diversity and equality with hierarchy. It is a beautiful picture. It is a picture of what the world longs and craves for. And so I commend to each one of us afresh that our God, Father, Son, and Spirit is a wonderful God and worthy of our delight and praise. Let's pray. Father, we confess again this morning that as we look at our our world around us and our country, we see brokenness and confusion. We see communities torn apart. We see distrust. We see fear. And Father, we confess once again that you are the one that this world needs. God, we praise you that you are Father, Son, and Spirit. And we praise you that uh, because of who you are, You are doing a wonderful thing in this world, in and through your people. Help us to be the people you want us to be. Help us to be a light to the nations that shows the watching world how glorious you are, that many may praise you and not mock you. We pray this for your glory. Amen.